Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hi, Sideliners. I'm your host, Vicki Duval. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I'm not usually in the same vicinity as the people I talk to, but today I'm currently at a safe three feet distance, give or take, from my guest. Today's guest has an extra special place in my heart because outside of being an absolute machine on the tennis court, she's become like an older sister to me and someone I look up to so much. Madison Brangle has been ranked as high as number 35 in the world, has one WTA title and 15 singles ITF titles. She is in the very exclusive club of players who can claim a win over the Serena Williams. And most impressively, Maddie has a 2-0 undefeated record against me. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll get on the scoreboard one day, but for now, that's where we are. Her talents don't end at the tennis court, and we're going to get into all of it today. I'm so excited. Maddie, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to pretend like I don't see you every day and we're catching up. <laughs> she doesn't even knock when she gets to my house. So. <laughs> I just make my way in. So when I first asked you to do this episode with me, I'll never forget you were like, what do I have to do, right? And yeah. I was like, just talk. <laughs> yeah. I thought there were like tasks involved. <laughs> You're like, are we going to have to host as well? Yeah. God. <laughs> There's a couple topics I want to go over today, but before we dive in, I give my sideliners a song of the week every week, and I have a feeling it might be a Lana Del Rey song, but I might be wrong. What do you have for us? Wait, you, you're way too, like, you're way too on the money with that. It's the In My Feelings by Lana Del Rey. Oh my god, yes. We love a good Lana moment. You know me too well. Yes. Uh, I mean, every time I come over, we play Lana, so... <laughs> on a loop. Didn't have to be a wild guess there. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. 
So I want to start at the very beginning of your career. Your mother took on a coaching role for you growing up, and I know sometimes those parent-coaching relationships can be difficult to navigate. What was that experience like for you growing up? Um, I think it's always tough. Uh, my mom, she came from a tennis family, so she had that background, and like just getting me started she was always trying to get my brother to play who's three years older than me and he would say no and then I would like this this is allegedly because at two I don't really remember what I was what I was volunteering for but my mom was was kind of getting me started and then as I got better and a little older I feel like that got tougher because you're trying to balance the on court off court and like leaving it in its like in its spot so it, it got a lot easier when I moved to Florida, and my mom could just take on more of a mom role, so it's been good. Yeah, that's good, and I know you spent some time at the USTA as well in your teenage years, and I know, obviously, with your mom having taken that role for you for a long time, did you find it difficult to kind of have two voices in your head, or did your mom kind of take a back seat at that point? Um, I had kind of the basics that she instilled in me, but... She was, she was like, really on board for me going and trying and training different places and learning more. So when I got, when I got to Florida, she was, I feel like it, was, it made it easier for me because she was so on board for me to start working with different people and getting more input. So I feel like that transition was pretty easy. Okay. That's awesome. That's usually not the case, I feel like, for a lot of players because parents get a little bit too involved. Um, but you had a very successful junior career, reaching the finals of Wimbledon Juniors, and I believe you got as high as number two in the world in juniors, if my sources aren't failing me. But obviously the transition to pros can be a tricky one, especially for juniors who've had impressive careers and extra expectations. How were your first couple years on tour? Um, I feel like I maybe had more success in the pro events that I was playing when I was still playing juniors and then when I turned pro and I started playing like exclusively pro tournaments and not playing the junior stuff I struggled a little bit through the first few years when I I had both when I was playing juniors and pros I feel like maybe some of the pressure was taken off of me when I was playing those pro events and then turning pro and kind of committing to that I felt maybe some additional pressure so it definitely took me a few years to settle into that yeah I kind of feel like it's you know the same a little bit for me too like I had a pretty hard transition at first it's it's a weird role to take especially when you're so young too and I know obviously you're a very smart person and you finished high school very quickly did going to college ever cross your mind or did you always know that you wanted to be pro no I was really strongly considering going to college but I had some outside pressure that was uh, yeah, so I had a lot of outside pressure kind of saying, we want you to turn pro, we want you to turn pro. So that maybe influenced my decision a little bit. If I could go back in time and have gone to college for a year or two, I think that would have been a good thing for me. But, you know, if everything happens for a reason and maybe those first couple of years on tour that were really difficult maybe helped you down the road. Yeah, I can't say that you haven't had the most impressive run. So I think everything happens for a reason because it all worked out in the end. But you moved into the top 100 for the first time in September of 2014. And I feel like achieving that milestone for a lot of players is kind of like a mama I made it moment. And 
I just wonder, like, what kind of... Is that something you actively thought about when you were playing, or did it just happen when it happened? Um, it was, it's definitely something you're striving for, and that year I was playing a lot of challengers, and the amount of matches that you just have to win to be able to break through into the top 100 playing challengers, it's that's like a... That is a lot of work. And you're going from city to city in the U.S., maybe not. Like, that's what I did. I played a bunch of U.S. challengers to try and break through. And I got a U.S. Open main draw wild card in the singles that year. And I won a round there. So after that, after getting those points, I sat down and I did the math one time. I didn't want to focus on it too much, but I did the math one time after that U.S. Open, saying, all right, I need this amount of points to finish the year in top 100 and then I'll be main draw for Australia on my own. And that was like what I, so I did the math one time, planned my schedule and didn't think about it again. And that was also like after that US Open, that's when I had the skin cancer thing happen. So it was, it was kind of good for me to have something to do. Like while I was like, I didn't want to sit and think about it too much. So having that schedule to play and then how I broke through finally was in the Linz. I came through qualies, which was really tough, and then I won my first match, and then I got a walkover from Ivanovich, and that's how <laughs> I broke through, so I needed a little extra help. So that, that walkover was what did it for me. Oh, we love to hear it. <laughs> and your biggest success on tour came in 2015. You reached your first WTA final in January, and you made it to the fourth round of the Australian Open and also reach your career best ranking of number 35 that year. I know you've traveled alone for a good portion of your career. That trip may have been an exception, but obviously that's not an easy thing to do. And at that point, the responsibility of everything outside of tennis falls on your shoulders also when you know, you're taking <clears throat> most of the trip yourself. So I think it's safe to say your success has come from your own sheer grit and determination, which is even more impressive. I guess my question is, how do you manage to stay so disciplined and motivated in the midst of that? Well, that trip, I had Phil Simmons. That was <laughs> our first trip together. And so having having somebody that is a great coach, but also like a friend, I feel like I like having that combo of having somebody for some weeks and then doing some of the weeks on my own. It just, I, I feel like the best way to put it is it keeps me motivated. I like having somebody maybe bring me back on track like for the bigger events just to kind of keep keep your blinders on if that's a good way to put it and then when I just go from like challenger to challenger or playing some of the WTAs by myself like I feel like I I kind of have gotten myself into a mode where I'm pretty focused and I can just kind of stick to it but having the weeks like when you do have someone that that helps a lot too yeah it's like that it's a combo I just was wishing sometimes, I was like, I want to go on a trip with her as her, like, <laughs> I don't know, support system. <laughs> Every time I'm injured, I'm like, what is my plane ticket? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be at Total Wine. That's like, yeah, match, like, gym, cool down, and then we go to Total Wine. <laughs> so, that's the progression. <laughs> on the topic of Total Wine, um, you're sometimes branded as a non-traditional athlete, if you will. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but in essence, you know, especially on your social media, you post about your booze and your free spirit and different facets of your personality would suggest that you're not as threatening as you actually are on the other side of the net. 
So how do you feel? Do you feel one way or another about that perception of you? Well, it's a, like it's definitely a little bit on purpose because I'm I'm putting that stuff on social media because I find it like I find it entertaining and it is definitely a little bit of my personality. But no, when I'm on court, I am 100% on court, and I think it helps me to be able to do that. Is like when I'm off the court, I am still a normal person, and I have my interests that are not just on court. So. Yeah, like, I, I like having that on-court, off-court, it feels a little bit different. So when when I'm here and I'm home and I have my friends over and the wine the wine is going and the food is going, <laughs> like, that's that's a good time to me. I can attest to the ruthlessness of Maddie Brangle on the tennis court. <laughs> so in 2016, you became the youngest person ever to be inducted to the Delaware Tennis Hall of Fame. If I'm completely honest, I did not know that was a thing, but I think that's, <laughs> oh, <it is. laughs> I think that's so incredibly cool. Are you a total celebrity in Delaware? Uh, no, um, I don't, I don't think that's, no, there's, I don't know if there's even such a thing in Delaware. <laughs> there's, I think the athletes that have come out of Delaware, I mean, that I know of are myself and like for current, um, or myself and the basketball player, Elena Deladom. So we're like the two Delaware athletes, and I like that we're both like female athletes, which is cool. So, oh, I yeah. love it. At the forefront, just leading the way. Yeah. So you had your biggest win of your career in 2017 over the one and only Serena Williams, and you went viral for a couple of days because of a particular sentence you said during your changeover. I don't want to make the story any less amazing than it actually is, so I'm going to let you tell it yourself. Um, so at WTAs, you have the ability to have on-court coaching, so my friend runs out, and you know, at 5-4 in the third set, you're playing Serena, you kind of, well, at least I did, I forgot that somebody ran out to talk to me, and they have a microphone on, so you're just talking to your friend, like the way I'm talking to you now, like, you're just talking, you're not realizing, okay, there's a microphone, so you're just like, you know, chit-chatting a little bit, and we're talking about the strategy on, like, how to break serve there, which I had not done that entire set, and I, I think I said something along the lines of, I think, do you, like, should we, like, should I play uglier? And the, the girl I'm talking to goes, yeah, like, I, I don't think that's a bad idea, and I said, okay, cool, because I think she's surprised how bad I am. <laughs> like, she hasn't seen this low of a level in a really long time, so I'm just going to keep dropping it lower. Anyway, so I just, I didn't, re- like, I it's not registering that I'm saying this stuff, and it's getting picked up by a microphone, but it's how I talk, and yeah. It was one of the greatest <laughs> moments in tennis history, honestly, for a player to be up 5-4 against Serena Williams and saying, I think she's shocked at how bad. <laughs> going into that match were you kind of freaking out because I know with Serena obviously a lot of players lose to her before they even get on the court because she has that like sort of mental dominance as well too like it's Serena so you know you're going into it like okay let me not look bad so what was that preparation like for you before you actually played her um there there are two things I talked to I talked to Dustin actually and Dustin's advice was well like don't try and hit with her like don't get into that like bang 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 because he goes she's just gonna do it better so he goes use your forehand slides like move the ball around kind of like play like smart but not traditional pretty tennis like don't give her a pretty ball to look at because she will just tee off on it so I try to play like just all over the court like high low junk like this and that and then the other thing that 
So that was his advice. And the other thing that I've seen when people play her, because she is such a presence on the other side of the court and like it is very, very intimidating, I made a conscious effort from the first point to the last point not to look at the other side of the court. Like once the point was over, I did not look. I would turn around and not look because once the point starts, it's you and the ball and that's all you really can worry about. It, I feel people see the other side of the court in between points and start getting more and more intimidated because she is, I mean, she's the best. Like, yeah. Yeah, so that was <clears throat> that was what worked for me was as soon as the point is over, turn around, don't look at, it, at the other side of the court because just you don't need more opponents. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's so smart. That just kind of goes back to routines and basics. And I know for me, I'm a little bit fortunate because I get to practice with you. So I see a little bit more of the forehand slice than everybody else <laughs> does on the, on the tour. And I get a little bit of an unfair advantage, even though I obviously still can't beat you. But <laughs> I somehow still can't manage to actually do anything about it. But I do see that slice all the time. Yeah. And I can imagine that's, you know, obviously the way you play, the way you're scrappy, I can imagine that was difficult. I want to get... I want to, I'm just curious about okay. this because I know at the end, like the Williams sisters, sometimes they get like, you know, fussy handshakes and stuff. How was the handshake? <laughs> no, it, it was a good handshake. I, then I'm looking at the other side of the court and I got so intimidated, like going up to shake hands. No, it was a, she, she, gave, she gave a good handshake. It was me that was so nervous. I'm looking up like, you're the best of all time. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. Like, I would follow that woman into battle. <laughs> for just a quick second I know I want to talk about some of the various medical obstacles you've faced in your life and some that are still currently plaguing your life you've had many surgeries to test and remove cancerous spots all over your skin um, and you're currently suffering from a complex regional pain syndrome also known as CRPS your diagnosis came after a contentious drug test which I'm not gonna go too far into I just want to leave that there, but I know to overcome so many medical obstacles and, and having to navigate so much pain on a daily basis, I know that's not easy to do. So what kind of toll do those hardships take on you as a person and also as an athlete? Um, I think after the, the skin cancer stuff and like, I'm almost lucky that it happened to me as young as it did because now I've become like a lot more sun conscious and I've gotten better with my sunblock and I practice in pants and all that kind of stuff. It's it's annoying and I don't like getting turned into Swiss cheese like every time that I go to the dermatologist, but I just feel like that's par for the course being like red hair and blue eyes, just not, <laughs> odds not in my favor when it comes to the sun. But the CRPS, the small fiber neuropathy that all ties into that, it... It was really hard for me and like for that first year after all of that happened because you're you're dealing with this extremely painful condition and then on top of it you're you're kind of saddled with the knowledge that it's forever so that's an intimidating hurdle to kind of overcome thinking all right this is going to be my new normal so like the bad days you're just like is it this is going I'm going to be dealing with this forever so it, it maybe it not maybe it definitely made me like mentally stronger being able to 
like work through it and like I'm accomplishing things that people previously haven't been able to do with this so who knows at the end of my career I might be able to help other people that have this because I've been able to stay as active and it's really hard it's definitely painful but I almost feel like staying active is is like helping me learn more about it yeah and I think obviously when we go through things like that there's like a renewed sense of perspective and appreciation for the little things outside of that because once you get once you go through so much you kind of start to appreciate the little things and I can just tell that you know in your life that's something that's been cultivated as well when you say that you're gonna deal with that the rest of your life is that like do you experience pain on a daily level with pretty much anything you do or is it just with tennis no it's it's with everything when you wake up in the morning you're in pain um, and it, it'll be different levels. I'll have days that are more or less painful, but I haven't had a pain-free day since before the 2016 years open. So that's a really long time to be in pain every day. And yeah, I've gotten better at managing it, but there are still times that like it is so frustrating because something as simple as like just being in the kitchen and I, since I don't have good feeling in the hand and it's burning all the time, I will drop stuff in the kitchen and I just get so frustrated because like I worked really hard on a marinade and like the marinade just crashed <laughs> to the floor and I'm cleaning up broken glass so stuff like little stuff like that it will just wear on you because that kind of constant that constant pain is tiring yeah, yeah. I can only imagine and to have the spirit that you have in the midst of all of that I think obviously every time I come over it's just so fun to be around you and share your perspective as well we've both definitely been through a lot but it's just it's so beautiful to see I want to wrap this up on a slightly lighter note because okay. we just got heavy for a second <laughs> we're gonna talk about our favorite topic can you guess what I'm about to say cooking Yay! <laughs> so first question is how did your love for cooking start um so my my dad's uh, mom, she was an incredible cook. So my dad is also a really good cook. My mom's a disaster. So it definitely <laughs> didn't come from my mom. Um, so my dad is a really good cook growing up. We really enjoyed the dishes that he was able to, to do. And then when I got my own place here in Florida and I had my own kitchen, it, it kind of seemed like an opportunity to get better. And I really enjoyed it because when we're on the road, we just eat out. We eat out all the time. Like there, I can't even look at Panera when I'm here because that's like we eat so much entrepreneur on the road so when I'm here I never eat out I just want to keep cooking because it's it's that nice change up and I love having people over I feel like it's it's a good way to show people that you care is like putting out a great dinner that's amazing and I think my favorite dish you've made was the shrimp and grits that you made <sighs> not too long ago yeah I did a shrimp and grits casserole and oh Oh, that was good. <laughs> that took me places. Um, also, I want to say your homemade poke spread is a pretty mm. close second. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Pokey? Pokey, poke, yeah. Poke. So I do a create your own poke bowl that, that's, yeah, that's actually my mom and dad's favorite dish that I make. Oh my so gosh. All the good. toppings too. Yeah. I mean, it's just out of control. So what's your favorite savory as well as sweet dish you've ever made? If you can even answer that question. Um, I would say... My classic recipe that I really claim is my own are my enchiladas, which I've made countless times and everybody likes the enchiladas. So it just it's just such like a that's a Maddie's kitchen standard. Um and sweet. Hmm. I 
I really, I really like the summer berry pie that I've been making this year. I, I started trying to make that during quarantine, and that has been a hit. I have made that so many times. And I have enjoyed that so <laughs> many times. It's really good. <laughs> Mama mia. So... I'm also pretty curious, because I know you've cooked different dishes, but what's your favorite culinary region to explore when you're looking for new recipes or trying new things? Mm, that's, a, that's a good one, Vic. That's a good <laughs> question. Um, I, oh, wow. I personally love Mexican food. It's so satisfying. It's so good. Uh, I, I feel like recently I've gotten a little better at some of the Asian cooking. The other night I did a at-home version of, like, my favorites from Chinese takeout, and that was so good. I did shrimp and broccoli and a cashew chicken. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. That you, sounds incredible. You should have come. Yeah, you should have come for that. Too bad I'm still scared of coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just petrified to leave my house. <laughs> so, with my last question here, we're going to circle back to tennis. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but during the peak of your career in 2015, I'm curious to know how many aces you hit. And this is for just the year of 2015. Do you actually know the answer? Yes. This is a quiz. So, I, when oh. I sent you the questions, <laughs> I sent the last questions oh. a surprise. I didn't want you to look it up. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. All right. So, I have to guess. You have to guess the amount of aces you hit. In the, the entire year. The entire year of 2015. This has got to be a record low. <laughs> I was honestly pretty impressed at the number. I was like, I don't oh, think I've hit that you know in what? my whole life. No, you know what? Because that was, that was before my hand. That was when I still had a functioning hand. So the serve wasn't that bad. Oh. Yeah, so back when back when I could feel my right hand, which is, <laughs> what a blessing for a tennis player. But now I can't. Um, I, like... That was Do you want to range? Well, that was the year that I played Stuttgart, and I served really well when I made the semis in Stuttgart. Oof. So, like, that, that, there was a time that I, I actually could, like, the I, serve was well, I knew where it was going. Now I haven't the slightest. Oh, um, same. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to say... I'm going to give you a range to make it a little... No, bit... I wanted, I would do it by myself. <laughs> 20. No, come on. Between 10? 50 and 100. What? Really? <laughs> Genuine shock. Come on. Okay. That's why I wanted to give you really? a range the first Oh, time. I was like, I thought I was shooting like aggressively high with 20. Um, <laughs> oh, yikes. Uh, You're between 850 and 100. 850? Like, no, 50 and 100. 50 and 100. And 100. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Don't go the low end. No, I wasn't. Just gonna say something inappropriate, but um. Oh God. Okay, we'll just say seventy. Eighty. Oh, look at me go! Yeah. I think I almost said eighty. That's why I said, uh, and you were like, <laughs> okay. There you go, eighty aces. Well, Sideliners, I think that'll do it for our episode this week. I hope today's episode provided a little bit of relief in the midst of the craziness of the world. Thank you so much again for joining me, and I hope to catch you next time. Bye!